did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Someone Knows Something from CBC Radio. In 1972, five-year-old Adrian McNaughton vanished while on a fishing trip in eastern Ontario. Documentarian David Ridgen goes back to the small town he grew up in, searching for answers. I have a recurring dream about bears. It's not the only recurring dream I have, but it's the one I remember with unoccluded clarity. It always starts and I'm wandering in the woods, in rough country, on a beautiful sunny day. But I know it's soon to be interrupted. And even so, when I see the first bear, it's always a shock. It's always just a few steps away I could touch it if I wanted. Huge brown bears, even though I grew up in an area with black ones. And for some reason, they sometimes have six legs. But I'll always get away from this first one, without being seen. And I'll get that false sense of security that maybe this time it will be different. I sneak past the first one, and maybe the second, but by the third, my luck will run out. There's always one that sees from far away and comes for me without hesitation, like those infected in 28 days later moving so fast. I run and run to finally find a clapboard cabin hidden amongst the spruce and pine, but the doors don't shut right, and the bear will find its way in anyway. I get into the last room in the cabin. It's always a bedroom that looks like the one that one of my best friends who died of cancer used to have. And I find a gun that's not mine, and I'm rifling through a white paint-flecked wooden drawer filled with cartridges or bullets that don't quite fit the gun. The bear gets in, and I fumble with the bullets, and I cock the gun empty, just to feel reassured, I guess, and then I wake up like the animal that I am. I've had this dream 20, 30 times, and it's terrifying, but I do admit I'd miss it, strangely, if it suddenly disappeared forever. If it disappeared, I would never be able to wake up with that euphoric relief again. And I discover in talking to the McNaughtons that their missing son, Adrian, became a dream of a different sort for Adrian's father, Murray. A dream that he wanted gone. This is something I remember, and it just came back to me, of Murray sleeping on the Chesterfield after it happened. We'd been home maybe a week, 10 days. And he was laying on the Chesterfield and he got up and said, I'm going to home sleep. I just had a dream and it said, I just had a dream and, and it said, Daddy, come and get me, I'm still here. It's through mining these memories and looking back at cases that new information can come up and I soon realize as the conversations proceed, out of the dream and into the facts, 
and back again. That there was another adult male on the scene the day Adrian disappeared, back on June 12, 1972. So, so tell me about uh, uh, who else was there with you. Well, I don't know whether whether he wants me to mention his name or not. Or Danny Ring, my fishing buddy, and he was with us too. He was probably he was quite a fisherman, and he was all around all the lakes. So I expect he was likely there before. I I've read a lot of news articles about the story of Adrian, and I've never heard anything about another guy being there. Yeah, well, I guess it wasn't that important. Who wouldn't be intrigued by Danny Ring, or Donnie as he's also called, the only other adult reported to have been at Holmes Lake on the day of Adrian McNaughton's disappearance? And I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody back then or now has ever interviewed him, if that's possible. But why? Why would the only other adult at the lake that day never have publicly spoken. And Mr. Mr. Ring, do you think that he would talk to me about that day? I don't know if he would or not. That's, that's up to him whether he wants to talk about it or not. I haven't been talking to him for quite a few months. Adrian's brother, Lee McNaughton, tells me what he can remember of Donnie Ring. Donnie Ring... I remember him telling the story that it's quite tragic how much garbage gets left behind and you know uh, he would bring sometimes a garbage bag and pick some of it up himself or something. Donnie had been Murray's fishing buddy several years. He was there that day. He's still alive so I have to talk to him and I need to start building some theories of my own. Some avenues, some percentages and my thinking about what this podcast can do here. It's noon and I'm pulling up at a house in the backwoods near Renfrew, Ontario. Not that far from the Calabogie area, and Holmes Lake, in fact. How are you? Donnie rings in the driveway near his ATV. It's okay to park right here? Yeah, uh, may as well come in this way rather than... He doesn't care if I leave my shoes on. He's been out at his deer stand just a short walk away and he's wearing full camouflage hunting gear and big boots. How's the hunting today? No good. Never seen a thing. Well, I've seen some blue jays. That was it. All right, well, I'm going to get another little microphone out. We sit on the back deck near a collection of bird feeders on what has become the warmest and most pleasant November day I can ever remember. Donnie sits across from me at a wooden deck table, and chickadees are shuttling gracefully back and forth from the surrounding trees to the seeds and then back again. For some reason, I enjoy knowing that they are there as Donnie talks. The day we went fishing, uh, we had plans to go the following day, but Murray had an appointment or something, so we changed and went up that evening. And as I remember, everything was going good. I went around the shoreline to a rock and I think Lisa and Adrian and one of the other kids came with me. Lisa is Adrian's sister and would be closest to him in age. 
and we fished there for a while and there was nothing going on so I came back and Murray set a line for Adrian uh, right down at the shore there was an old dead tree in the water and the other kids they went ahead they set their own lines they were old enough and I tried fishing a little bit there and then I thought well I'll leave the, the space for the kids and I'll go out to this other uh, kind of a point. There was a cedar tree on it and uh, I climbed out there and I started fishing there and Maurice set the line for Adrian right at the end of that tree and Adrian decided he wanted to play with his line so he kept pulling his line in a little bit and a little bit and finally he got tangled up in the tree. So Murray told them, just go and sit down and uh, he would get it untangled for him. So I heard Murray telling the kid this and uh, everything was good. I looked over and I seen Adrian sitting up on the rock. It was a kind of a flat rock, like a step. So he sat in the rock and his legs down, comfortable. And Marie fiddled around, got the line on done, and then uh, I believe it was Lee went out to the care. I'm not sure what he went for, but he went out to the care. Lee is Adrian's eldest brother. Marie told, I guess he turned around uh, to tell. Adrian that his line was ready that was set again for him and that and then he says where's Adrian to nobody in particular and uh, nobody knew and Murray shouted out to Lee at the care I'm pretty sure it was Lee it was in the care he's the oldest boy I'm pretty sure and he asked Lee if Adrian was in the care or if he was sleeping or something like that and Lee said yes, because I was actually closer to Lee and the care, and I heard him saying yes, so we thought no more of it. We went ahead fishing, and uh, oh, I don't think it would be 10 minutes maybe at the very most. Lee came back to the where we were fishing, and uh, Marine asked, asked Lee if uh, Adrian was sleeping. And Lee said, no, I, I didn't see him or something to that effect. And well, right away, Murray uh, said, well, is he not sleeping in the care or did he get something to eat or what did he do? Never seen him. Well, right away, we started looking. As Donnie Ring speaks, I find his lilt and cadence oddly comforting. Even though he's obviously confronting his memories for the first time in a long while, and he's possibly the furthest thing from comfortable himself. My name is Manny Matney. 
We all want to drink from the same cup of justice, and it starts with learning about our legal system. With tales from the newsroom and the courtroom, journalist Liz Farrell, attorney Eric Bland, and I invite you to gain knowledge, insights, and tools to hold public agencies and officials accountable. Together, our hosts create a fire lit to expose the truth wherever it leads. Search for Cup of Justice wherever you get your podcast, or visit cupofjusticepod.com. Everyone present so far agrees that Adrian stopped fishing, then went up the little hill, an astonishingly short distance away, to sit on a flat rock. Donnie says Adrian stopped fishing because his line was snarled. Murray and Lee McNaughton say that Adrian simply got tired of fishing and then went up the hill to sit. And Lee thinks he was the last person to see Adrian. He must have got bored with the fishing, and he got back just behind me on the rock, uh, and he was playing there. Did you see him playing? Yes. Playing, and then, according to all accounts, gone within minutes after that. Throwing some things, kicking the dirt. You know, it was turned around, he was puttering away, sort of as a five-year-old would, and then I went back to fishing. The moment when Murray discovers Adrian's not on the rock, he asks Lee to go check the car. And then both Donnie's and Lee's account of that moment are effectively the same. And this is where a, an odd thing happened. He, my father, because it wasn't that far away, shouted, is he there? And uh, sometimes when you respond to someone, I, I wasn't respond. I said yes, meaning, pardon me, what did you say? Lee says he misheard his dad, and the other accounts support this, and no one has ever had any reason to doubt that or suspect him in any way. But the likely mishearing allowed Adrian's disappearance to continue for another precious few minutes without the family actually knowing he was gone. What, what time of day would that have been, what, when you noticed he was gone and then you started looking? I believe that would be around probably 5.30 in the evening. We started looking for Adrian. And we looked for a few minutes, we went around. I went back over to where I had been at the rock at the first, checked all the way back over there, and I called here and there on the way over. It was only a couple of hundred yards anyway. And Murray, he went out toward the car and down the other road toward Center Lake, calling and waiting and listening for an answer, and we never got any answer. So. I met up with Murray again a few minutes later and I said, well, maybe we better get some help. And I went down to Jocko's and I phoned the OPP from there. And it took them a while to get there. But uh, we got back in there and then we started searching again and, and then it just escalated from there. The word got out and uh, the next thing we know, there's, there's people everywhere and there's... Uh, no sign of him, no sign of any of his clothing. There was absolutely nothing found. When Donnie returned from his trip to seek help, he had the police with him. He said that he waited for them on the Calabogie Road and that they had to have their headlights on when they pulled in at Holmes Lake. So it was dark and after 9.30pm on that late spring evening. The remainder of the McNaughton family, meanwhile, stayed behind. No, like I say, when we were around here, the kids, we started calling them, and I went up around to the, walked up around to the end of the lake, and when I came back and said to stop calling them because it, uh, their voices echoed through the bush. I think he was up there and got lost, and he, 
echo over there, they followed it away over there. So the McNaughtons continued to look, without yelling for Adrian, into the night. And very shortly, and on into the next day, the numbers of searchers increased. Yeah, I think there was quite a few OPPs in there too, and the Ministry of the MNR was there. The MNR would be the Ministry of Natural Resources. They kept lakes on Crown land, like Holmes Lake and Center Lake, stocked with fish. There was lots of stuff found, none of it Adrian's. Like it was probably stuff hunters had dropped in there, or fishermen, or, you know, things Adrian wouldn't have, especially. And uh, I, I have never been able to figure out what happened. I have been back there quite a few times, and uh, you always look. Nothing. It's pretty sad. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they were good friends of mine. It, it, it bothers me. But I just just don't know what could have possibly happened to him. It, it's, he'd be what, about 46 now? It's weird how, how, how he could disappear just, you know. Each time Donnie's emotions rush to the surface, I feel like I'm looking at a man who hasn't allowed himself to cry about anything for 43 years. And the lump in my own throat keeps getting larger. For a long time, you know, I found myself going back up there and walking around and, and you know, looking at every little hole in the ground. And, and I couldn't, <clears throat> you couldn't get it out of your mind at the time. It's just, especially having a little kid myself at the time. Yeah. And Bourbon and, and Murray, like, they idolized those kids. They were just, they were having a rough time of it too, I guess, and uh, just trying to make ends meet. And the kids were well looked after and, you know, it's, Hurting the nerves. And have you spoken about this to any reporters or anything since that time? Or Actually, at the time, well, I was talking to the OPP, and the reporter was sitting in the carriage. I said something. He just took my words and switched them all around. And I thought, that's not what I said, you know? You asked me a question, or the cop asked me a question. I gave him my answer. Now, don't you try to tell the cop what I said. And uh, I, I said, I told the cop, I said, if he stays in the care, I'm not saying another word. And that was it. I wouldn't talk. So I just don't like people trying to tell me what happened when they weren't there. You know, my temper was really short. <laughs> but a lot of people, uh, as soon as I said, well, you know, I was there, I know what happened, where the hell did you get your information? They shut up. They knew that they were talking, you know, nonsense, more or less. But there's still some that would just, wouldn't stop, yeah. That's when you walk away. <laughs> That's all you can do. I mean, 
Yeah. He, Adrian was only five years old at the time, if I remember rightly, and he was a very tiny child, very tiny, very quiet little fellow. And uh, if he answered, none of us heard him. There was enough of us there. One of us should have heard him answering, but nobody heard a peep at him. And uh, we tried. We looked and looked and. We scoured that bush like every inch of it and there's nothing. But, so I have no idea what happened to him. I, I uh, only speculation. But I think he might have went out to the road and somebody picked him up. That's that's the only way he could disappear. Like everybody's saying, oh a bear got him, the cougar got him, this, that and the other thing. We would have heard him screaming or something if a bear had to tackle him. Or we would have heard the noise a bear would make, you know. It's, uh, my hearing was real good then. <laughs> it's not so good now, but... It's just... Um, I wish I knew. I'm sure Murray and Bear would like to know too. So why didn't Adrian call out? Or if he did, why didn't anyone hear him? Was he somehow incapacitated very shortly after leaving the fishing area? Had he gotten so far away under his own power or someone else's that he couldn't hear the desperate calls for him? So when you left, which way did you turn? Do you remember if you went out toward Calabogie or if you went out toward Black Donald on that road? That, you know, you can go both ways on that. When I left, I went out to Highway 508 and turn left and went down to Calabogie. Mr. McNaughton and Barb said that afterwards there were a lot of suspicions cast on the family. There were like people were oh, saying yeah. things, people were... Can you talk a little bit about that? And I bet you suspicions were cast on you as well because you were there. Right? Oh yeah. So can you talk a little bit about Yeah, that? there was uh, all kinds of accusations made. Uh, there was really ridiculous things like Somebody found him nailed to the bottom of a boat at Jocko's or one of the other marinas there in Calabogie. There was crap like that. I shouldn't say this, but my sister gave one girl a pounding because some girl accused me directly, said, oh, she knew that I did it. And my sister knew I did. And I guess my sister's got a bad temper too. But that's long gone now. There were so many stories that I, I can't, it was speculation. Somebody got these stupid ideas in their head. I don't know why people do that, but they do. I had to hold myself back a few times too. Like I used to go to the old Newburn Hotel in Aaron Pryor and you'd be sitting there and you'd hear people talk and then all the damn the stories you could imagine. And you just wanted to get up and, you know, let them have it, but you had to keep it, keep your mouth shut and try to just ignore it because if I had stuck my nose in, there would have been fist flying, I know that, because I won't be accused of doing something I didn't do. That's just the way I am. And so to the chances of Adrian still being alive and things like that, like the McNaughton's hold out the hope, of course, that he's still alive and has been raised by somebody else or is unbeknownst to him is their son in some other situation. What do you think of that 
sort of scenario? Well, I have often thought about that myself. And I thought if he was picked up by somebody and it was a family that couldn't have children of their own or something and they raised him, he may be doing well today. I don't know. Uh, you know, that's looking at the good side of things, I guess. But uh, if he was picked up, let's hope it was somebody that treated him right. Because he was, he was a good kid. The only person that could know where he is is if somebody picked him up. They would know. And if that happened, they should come forward. Yeah, I, it gets to you. It just, it would be so nice to know. Even one way or the other, you know, it's, like I said, if somebody took him, it's time they admitted it. I can't believe people would do that, though. I can. I can believe people would do anything. But what's the probability? What's the percentage chance of a bear being picked up, being lost, dead, alive, some of the above, at least one of the above. Well, Donnie says he turned left out of Holmes Lake and we'd assume he'd have seen Adrian on the road in that direction if he had gotten there and also turned left. So that narrows that possibility. And there's still people to talk to and information to sift. But right now, a picture's forming, crazy quilt, of some possibilities where Adrian could be or might be. And that and the sunny day and the chickadees and the quiet lake that's still here, despite it all, gives me heart. Adrian! 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 On the next episode of Someone Knows Something. We were fishing off the rocks and we could hear people shouting on the far side of the lake but we didn't know why the people were shouting at the time. We found out the next day that uh, there was somebody missing up there. So that's when all the, the whole thing started. Visit cbc.ca slash SKS to see a map of the locations connected to the case or to catch up on past episodes from the series. Subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, Tell your friends. Someone Knows Something is hosted, written, and produced by David Ridgen. The show is also produced by Ashley Walters, Sandra Bartlett, and Steph Kampf. The music is by Bob Wiseman.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.